we should start with prayer because of that. Thanks, Joe. All right. <laughs> bow your eyes. Bow your heads. Close your heads. <laughs> hey, Father, we need your help. Spirit, we need you. We are really dependent on you. We thank you uh, for Pentecost. Thank you. That's Pentecost Sunday. It's the morning. It's the day. Uh, when your spirit fell on the church and we became the church and we thank you for power from on high and we just declare that we would receive an impartation of you afresh this morning we thank you for all that you've done in the last couple of thousand years through your bride through your uh through the church and we just ask that you would bless this morning in jesus name amen amen cool it's an exciting morning eh? Exciting morning to be here and uh, to carry on this series. We're looking at 1 John. Gideon started us off looking at 1 John last week, and we looked at light. That's why we started with See the Light. Hey? That was Asher. He's been dwelling on that song for a week because he couldn't get out of his head, head after last week, looking at uh, God as light, being the light to the world, uh, the kingdom of light, walking in the light. So this morning, uh, we're looking at love. We're working through light, love, life. So this morning we're looking at life, uh, love. It's, it's a love smorgasbord. I've had that, have that word in my, it's a cool word. Say it a few times, go. Smorgasbord, smorgasbord, smorgasbord. Is, is it German or? Swedish. Swedish, okay. What does it mean? I don't know. It's cool. Uh, buffet, yeah. It, 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 it just like, if you look through this book, First John, I read it a couple of times. And it's just a smorgasbord, <laughs> you know, like every paragraph, uh, he kind of repeats himself, but there's something fresh and new in it. And every, every verse is just so weighty and solid. You could camp out there for like a week. So um, that's why it's a smorgasbord. And so we're, we're doing an exegesis of this book and I'm looking at chapters two through four. But to be honest, I could spend the whole of next week uh, with you looking at those chapters. So I've just gone through and we're highlighting a few verses and it's legit to do that because of the way he writes the book. Uh, it's kind of a treatise and it, again, he repeats each paragraph and um, brings up new ideas, but there's themes. And so light was a theme and love is a theme throughout these three chapters. So I'm going to see how far we get through and uh, are you ready to track with me? Yeah. yeah, cool. So we're going to go verse by verse, but skip a whole bunch. And uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he looks at these contrasts. So he looks at light and dark. He looks at love and hate. He looks at life and death as these big contrasts. And um, I kind of wanted to model something to you today as we do this, because um, we, we don't get the opportunity to exegesis often, which is where we just go verse by verse and bring out what's in there and look at the context and look at the richness of what's gone into the scripture. And um, as I was sitting with it, I was practicing what we call Lectio Divino. Um, Divina, sorry. Does anyone know what that means? Is anyone? The name literally, it's Latin. It means uh, divine reading. Shock, Catherine. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's just a way of becoming immersed in Scripture, very personally. Um, it, it draws out the way that the Jews would have read text during Passover. And so you end up reading the scripture a number of times and um, just sitting with it. I'll take you through it. If you're taking notes, write this down, eh? Everyone takes out their notebooks and their phones. Cool. Uh, so Lectio means to read. 
And so <clears throat> the first thing I would do is just read through the book of John, 1 John, and look at the scripture and just listen really carefully for any phrases or anything that stands out. Like, God, what are you gently guiding me into through reading this? And that's just the first thing. That's the first reading. That's what I do. The second reading is called uh, Meditatio, which obviously means to meditate, but reflect. And so you do a second reading, and I just sort of focused on chapters 2, 3, and 4, because that's what I'm looking at this morning. And uh, I would look at, hey, God, what are, you, what are you nudging in me? You know, I'd reflect on what God's saying. I'm not trying to analyze, because it's really easy to get into study mode, right? And just sort of uh, be analytical about it. But I'm just listening to what God is trying to say and asking Him to bring some focus. Next reading, Oroteo means to respond. And uh, the third reading is just a time to respond. So I like to record my thoughts. I journal because I don't have, I don't, I don't declare this over my life, but I forget things. And so I, <laughs> uh, so I, like, to, I like to write down what I feel God's saying. Yeah, What have I learned so that the next day I'll retain it? And it's a good chance to respond in prayer to. You know, like it's an opportunity to pray through it and like have that conversation with God. Like, God, when I'm looking at these verses, what are you, what are you speaking to my heart? What are you doing in my own heart? And uh, then the fourth reading, contemplatio, which means to rest. It's uh, kind of, I actually just spend 10 minutes in silence and I just contemplate, sit on the couch with my Bible, having read it and just go, Father, speak to me, whisper. Um, you know, and if my mind starts to wander, I just bring it back to stillness again. So that's kind of the practice of, of uh, you know, it's one model of looking at Scripture. So as I did that, um, these are the things that I felt God draw out of this book. You ready? So we're going to look at chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 5. It's kind of one of the first mentions of love in this book. And he says there, But if anyone obeys his word... Love for God is truly made complete in them. Like we could camp there for a week. That's so dense. It's quite terrifying. These are the things that on my first reading, I felt God say to me, obedience is a litmus test for our love of God over our love for self. Obedience is the litmus test for, for our love of God over our love for self. And my question was then, like, how do you gauge whether you love God over self? How, how do you gauge that? How do you gauge, you know, do, do I love God more than I love myself? I don't know. That's the question. Well, he says, you can see by your obedience. <sighs> Heavy, eh? I, uh, I don't know. Most teenagers would have been like this. Didn't love the word obedience. <laughs> yeah, right? Okay, some of us are still there, I can hear. Uh, but each time you step into obedience, God's love is made more complete in you. That's what the scripture is saying. Every time you step into obedience, God, God's love is made more complete in you. So obedience is like this conduit to the formation of love in you. Your love for God comes from Him, right? Like He's the initiator. And, and that's repeated throughout this book. Um, we'll see it again and again this morning. That He's the initiator. He's the one that first loves. And yet your love from God comes from Him. 
so the question I was left with to ponder in my silent 10 minutes of just reflecting on this was, am I in a regular habit of obeying his word or listening to his voice and following? You know, so that's the question that this, this verse conjures up. What does obedience look like? Do I sit with his word and follow? Next verse is verse 10. It's the next mention of love here. It says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them. There is nothing in them to make them stumble. There is nothing in them to make them stumble when they're living in the light. (laughs) Man, see, if you walk in love, nothing can be found in you to cause you to stumble. If you choose love, because love's a choice, right? Yeah? Yeah. There's a book out there, Love is a Choice. I don't know if it's still in print. Changed my world. Uh, Love is a choice. And when you choose love, when you do, you step out from any influence that the enemy can have over you. You getting that? (laughs) See, loving others reveals what is in you. I'll illustrate that from my day yesterday. (laughs) um, love Love is the expression of light within you. So you can't stumble in the light, right? It's very easy to see. When you're walking in the light of day, it's easy to see. You know, even when it's dimly lit. But when you're in darkness, it's easy to stumble. And, and John's always contrasting these things. Walking in light or love and walking in darkness or hate. He even uses the word hate. It's a big, heavy word. I um, You know, once I've gone through my practice of Lectio Divina, I like to then sit with the text and go back to all the commentaries. Um, you know, there's a, whole, there's a whole raft of theological tra- traditions and even contemporary authors who have spoken about this book. And you can learn so much from them. You know, you can increase the breadth of your reading just by, by reading what other people have said. So it's a really good practice, and I'll, I'll illustrate that in this next verse. So verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Another another passage, sorry, another translation says that the Father's love is not in them. So it's not just love for the Father, but it's the Father's love, that recipient, you know, posturing myself as a receiver, the Father's love is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. But whoever does the will of God lives forever. See, when speaking about the world, uh, this is this this Greek passage. It's written that way. It's it's the word is cosmos, um, and and it literally means when something is ordered. Okay, so think about creation. When God first spoke, he brought order out of chaos. Same word, cosmos. So it's not talking about loving creation and humanity. That's not the world it's talking about, because that's a good thing, right? God ordained that, that we would love each other and, and creation. Um, that's, that's worthy of, of us spending our lives on. But um, the Greek uh, lexicons that I looked into, they all talk about it being the moral order. So worldly affairs, like that whole vortex of becoming attracted to uh, earthly 
goods and riches and, you know, pleasures, all that sort of stuff. Like, um, you know, the stuff that's hollow or fleeting. The things that stir up our desire and seduce our hearts away from God. Yeah? Obstacles to the kingdom. See, do you know the Father doesn't have a lust for any worldly thing? I mean, it would make sense. It makes sense because he's the creator. But he doesn't have a lust for any worldly thing. It's not the Father's love that you're operating out of, therefore, when you're filled with lust for the flesh or lust of the eyes or pride of life. Um, there's, a, there's a prophet that put it this way. The truly spiritual man is thus, because his heart is captured by the things of the Spirit, that he simply has no time or interest for the things of the world. Once we have beheld the spiritual riches that are found in Christ, going back to worldly interests could be compared to a, million, uh, sorry, a billionaire sweeping streets for minimum wage. Those who still have a love for worldly pleasures simply have not received the love of the Father. Whew. Yeah, sorry. The first, not, sorry, not sorry. Uh, the Father's love causes us to see the world how the Father sees it. Yeah? How does He see our world? What would it look like to see through His, his eyes? So you, you can't have a love for the world and the love of the Father in you. They're mutually exclusive. But Jesus, Jesus is our model, right? Jesus was filled with the Father's love. Jesus walked in his love. Uh, he's the prototype for all humanity. For you and I, what does it look like to walk out the love of the Father? Yeah. Another author wrote this, and I'll, I'll bleep out the expletives. Uh, he, Jesus, wasn't sleezing around, gazing at woman in lust, trying to hide his, <clears throat> uh, he wasn't trying to make quick crooked money or bets or gambling. He wasn't proudly swagging or swaggering around demanding his rights or even building a kingdom of riches for his own glorification. You don't see Jesus doing any of that, right? You know, he wasn't gloating. I mean, all things were rightly his. And yet he walked as a humble servant. Because the love of the Father was in him. King James Version says it this way. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but that doth... Uh, sorry, man. <laughs> this is why we read the Passion most of the time. Now, uh, here we go. But he that doth the will of God abideth forever. Okay, we got there. World passes away and the lust, and, but those that do the will of God abideth forever. They abide in his love forever, right? Abide, that beautiful word abide. I love that. Uh, so what, what is his will? What's his will? What's God's will for you and I? Go. Just a guess. Eternal life. Yeah, that's, that's cool. That's awesome. That's, that's a win. Uh, huh? Relationship. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, love. Yeah. Nice. Beautiful. Cool. That's, that's his, his command of us in this book as well. So like kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, right? What does heaven look like? Well, it's the throne room of the Father. It's the throne room of God. Yeah. He is love. 
God is love. And uh, the Father's love can be in us. <laughs> like we get to walk in His love. In fact, we get to abide forever in His love. You know, when the Father loves you, when you're, when you're actually abiding in His love, it's natural for you to do the will of the Father. It actually becomes your nature. It's true to who you are. You're not, um, you know, you're not denying who you are. It's true to who you are because the Father's love's in you. And you actually become immune to the lusts of the world. You actually don't notice. You know, that starts to fall away. It, 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 its grip on your heart is relinquished. Yeah. So can you see how like just approaching the scripture in this way can explode the richness of meaning for you? You know, um, we're going to jump over to chapter three. Have a look up here. Uh, verse one says this. <clears throat> see what great love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are God's children, and what we will be has not yet been made known. Uh, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves, just as he is pure. Whew, there's so much in there. So John, uh, as Gideon said last week, John's talking to uh, Gnostics, right? So there's all this mysticism. Um, possibly he's talking to Ephesus. Hard to tell when the letter is written and who's written to. But um, Gnostics believe that salvation came from esoteric or special knowledge, right? They had some sort of special knowledge that no one else had. So the small group of people were saved because they knew more. Whoopty. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we know this side. We could have been caught up in that as well, but we know this side that that just, just reeks of pride, yeah? So they, they reckon that there was this divine light that was in the human soul, <laughs> and, uh, and they were just following that divine light. And Jesus affirms again and again and again, actually it's Jesus, uh, sorry, John affirms again and again that Jesus was incarnate. He was uh, God made man, yeah? He became a human. And that actually, he's the firstborn, that we are all to become children of God again, you know? Through repentance of sin and faith in Jesus' death, we receive the spiritual rebirth as his children. So he's talking to us as children, his children, his sons and daughters, you know? And he talks to us like we've got this title and this role and this position as sons and daughters because it causes you to be direct recipients, as Jesus was, to the Father's love. You know, as a son, you are a recipient of the Father's love. See, God created children. He created humanity, he created children. And honestly, that's the whole, if you look at the scripture as a big book, as a big story, the whole meta-narrative of scripture is he sends the son to reveal the Father, right? And there's this divinely orchestrated, or should I say ordained, uh, revealing of God's plan to claim us back as his children from the world, the lust of the world, from the usurper, the enemy. So you and I, you and I are sons and daughters, sons or daughters of the Father, yeah? And that very fact 
the very fact that he says that you are is an act of his lavish love toward you. The very fact that he calls you son or daughter is an act of his lavish, his uh, just, <laughs> his huge love towards you. It talks about hope in Jesus' imminent return in seeing him and that we would be found like him. Imagine if we looked like him, even now, you know, because love is the purifying agent. The Father's love in you is actually causing you to become sanctified. You know, you know what you're becoming, right? Oh, we don't really. The scripture says we don't know what we're becoming, <laughs> but you're becoming more like him. So that's, that's the end goal, is to become more like him through and through, that he, his love in you would purify you. Chapter 11, uh, sorry, verse 11 says this. Verse 11, here we go. Uh, For this is the message you heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. And do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other, because who does not love remains in death. Uh, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer, and you know that a murderer has eternal life, uh, has no eternal life residing in him. In him, man, this like there's so much in this. <laughs> we could go uh, a lot of places, but um, let's just talk about Abel real briefly. Um, why were Abel's actions righteous over Cain's? You know, it's um, when you read through that story, you go, I don't understand. <laughs> Why were there's two there's two uh, two offerings two sacrifices, and one was acceptable and one wasn't. Hebrews eleven four puts it this way: It says, "By faith Abel brought God a better offering than Cain did. By faith he was commended as righteous when God spoke spoke well of his offerings." You know, I really believe it's this. I really believe that it's because Abel, his actions. Uh, reflected his heart posture. You know, he sincerely wanted to please God. And so he made the appropriate sacrifice to cover his sin when approaching Yahweh. You and I have already been made acceptable. We have already made the acceptable sacrifice by believing in faith in what Jesus has done on our behalf. So we already come to the Father as righteous. Like Abel, we get to receive, we get received by the Father as righteous. So we are abiding in life because of that. And therefore, uh, we are postured to receive the Father's love, unfiltered and without measure. In the, in the prayer time this morning before the service, um, this came through really clearly that God wanted to see us this morning posturing ourselves, positioning ourselves to receive the Father's love, which I thought was pretty cool because no one had read my message. Um, you know, but the Father was speaking. <laughs> so you know when you've passed from death or from the kingdom of darkness into life, the kingdom of light, when you genuinely love other people. Yeah? Yeah? 
When you choose not to love, when you choose to function out of anything that's not love, right? You choose to act out of a non-loving response or you speak from place within that's just uh, not loving, you know? You know what that sounds like, eh? When you speak from a place that's not loving, you know what that sounds like? Yeah, so when you do that, you actually just perpetuate death. It says elsewhere in Scripture that life and death are in the power of the tongue. You know, there's no middle ground there. But if it's not love by default, it results in death. Uh, it's quite heavy, I know. Um, <laughs> so how do, you live from, how do you live from love? Like, is it actually possible to be around people? <laughs> no, I'm serious. Um, how, do you, how do you be around people and always love? Like, seriously, how, do you, how, how could you marry somebody, love them, uh, you like them and you chose to marry them, right? And that's, you know, that's why you got married and still love them and remain in love. You know, like your demeanor, your attitude, your, your um, you know, your motivations, your agenda, uh, everything towards them is love. Because what's the alternative? You breed light, you breed death in your marriage. And I'm not even talking about kids yet. Man, I drove to Hamna yesterday. And uh, my, my daughter had an earache and she screamed for an hour 45. <laughs> Cried and screamed. Hoa there, sweetheart. She's gorgeous, so it's easier to love her because she's cute, right? You'll know that. It's like a puppy. It's easier to love them because they're cute and they're yours. But like, wow. <clears throat> Man, it would radically change mental health statistics if we learned how to love. If we remained postured in love. How is that possible? How is it possible? Verse 16 says this. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech only, but with actions and in truth. Wow. Love is revealed through action. Yeah. It looks like laying down your life. It looks like denying yourself. This is not about like, you know, having great boundaries and asserting your rights. Um, good on you. Uh, it's not even about fulfilling your duties or your obligations. This is actually about being a laid down lover. You know, that's the whole point. Defer to the other, prefer the other, humbly deny yourself. See, dying to yourself for the sake of the other is what look, you know, it's what Jesus' love looked like. So let's posture ourselves this morning to be unaffected by the filth of the world around us and actually love unlovely people. Yeah? I, let's be honest, there's some unlovable people out there and we're called to love them. Not because they deserve it. Yeah, I'm talking about myself. Uh, not because I deserve love, but because even the least of these, even the least of these is worthy of it.
that's almost all I've got time for this morning. So you're going to have to come back and hear from Gideon. You're going to have to do chapters three and four. <laughs> yeah, next week. Yeah. All right, last, last bit, last bit. You ready? Last bit. <clears throat> Verse 19 says, this is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts to rest in His presence. If our hearts condemn us, we know that God is greater than our hearts and He knows everything. Dear friends, if your own hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive from Him anything that we ask because we keep His commands and do what pleases Him. And this is His command, to believe in the name of the Son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another. The one who keeps God's commands lives in Him and Him in them. And this is how we know that He lives in us, the Spirit He gave us on this very day, Pentecost. (laughs) Even if your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart, greater than your conscience. You know, He knows all things, right? And yet, He does not stand before you and condemn you. He knows all things. He knows everything that happens in this, this organ we call a heart. And yet He doesn't condemn you because He came into the world not to condemn the world, but to save the world. And my friend, this morning, if you are saved, there is no condemnation. There is no accusation that can be brought against you. You know? So stop accusing yourself. Stop condemning yourself. The Father's love causes us to live free from blame, free from shame, free to love other people. But this is the main point this morning. Love is not, <laughs> love is not generated by you. You are, you are a receiver of His love. You are not the generator. You are not the source It's not like you're a battery and you contain some certain amount of love that is needed for those around you. You're actually just a, you're not a container of love. You're a, you're a conduit. You're a conductor. You know, love flows through you to others from the source and He is the source. So we go to Him, we find His love for us and we receive His love for us. We marinate in it. We pickle in it, that sweet honey nectar. We get it deep into our souls until we believe it. You know, it's Pentecost Sunday, eh? And the Holy Spirit came to endow us, the church, with power from on high. Dunamis power, dynamite power for your assignments while you're on earth. But you're not the generator of that power either. Like you don't increase the power by, you know, like those dynamic batteries that you wind up the crank. You know, pray more, fast more, produce more current. Now the Holy Spirit is the source within you. It's not about transaction, it's about relationship. And intimacy, intimacy is the conductivity of heaven. So be intimate with the source. You see, the same is true of love. 
be intimate with the source, the one who is love, and he will flow through you. While he's flowing through you, he'll wash you. I, um, I wanted to get to chapter four because I got a tattoo on my arm for you guys, um, just for this. Uh, <laughs> and I, admit, I didn't get there. So I have to do it another day. Now it says, um, because you first loved us. It's my motivation for living. Because you first loved us. I'd love you to stand with me this morning. I just want you to ponder on these questions in your heart as we come into a place of worship. What would receiving divine love perfectly look like for you? What would receiving His divine love, to receive it perfectly, what would it look like for you? Can you, have you ever received the Father's love as a son or daughter? You would see it manifest in your life. Man, you'd see it manifest in your life. You'd see, you'd feel, you'd know that you're loved sincerely. What would it look like to bring a perfect expression to divine love? What would it mean for those near you, for those around about you, for those in your family, if you expressed the love that Father pours through you? And if you've never met God this morning, if you're in this place this morning and you've never actually come into a relationship with this Father that I speak of who calls you a son or daughter, if you've never made that decision to call Him your Father, then I would encourage you to do that this morning. In fact, if you've never made that decision, if you've never said, I want to relate to you as a father, then I'd love you to put your hand up this morning and just acknowledge before Him, God, I want to make you my father this morning. I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter. I want to learn to receive your love. And I'm just going to pray as these guys start to worship. I'm just going to pray for you this morning. Father, baptize us in your love this morning. As we, as we raise our hands to you, as we posture ourselves and position our hearts before you to receive. That's all we do. We just receive. Father, baptize us in your love this morning. Holy Spirit, come. Come as you did on the day of Pentecost and pour out your power upon us, the power of your love to transform. You are the only one that melts the human heart. You are the only one that turns this heart of stone into a heart of flesh. And so we just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come by power this morning and bring your love into our hearts. Father, overwhelm us in your presence. We call on you, Father, to come with your love and just saturate us, soak us in your love. Change us from the inside out. Make us new, make us fresh. Show us how to love. We receive your love this morning as a perfect father to a son, to a daughter. We receive your love this morning. 
come, Father.